hearts this um, morning. Uh, we, we sang in our worship today the line, take this world and give me Jesus. Remember you sang that? I got to tell you a story because this happened to me. I was, um, I was in Rwanda, the country in Africa that experienced the genocide. And I was there not many years after the genocide. I was in a, a little town called Ruhangeri, and I was with a, a man who was an, uh, an Anglican bishop. His name was Bishop Frank. And uh, he and his wife invited us over to their home, and their home was very, very poor. I still remember we ate chicken, and I remember I couldn't eat it because it was like, have you ever tried to eat a rubber ball? It was so hard, we couldn't get our teeth through it. That's, but that was the best they had. They gave us the very best they had, and they were marvelously generous. Well, in the conversation, um, uh, Bishop Frank started to tell us about how the, the, the head denomination in, in Europe was putting pressure on them to change their view of human sexuality. And uh, the Rwandan church kept resisting. And then the Europeans said, well, we're going to limit your funds now. And then he said two things that I will never forget. He said, the first thing he says is, we, 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 we told them, he said, um, why don't you keep your money and let us keep our Jesus? That's what they said. Keep your money. We keep our Jesus. And then he laughed, and this is what he said next. This is hilarious. He said, can you imagine threatening Africans with poverty? <laughs> I said, as if we're scared to death of poverty. You know, we're so scared. You know, you Europeans, you, you try to take away your money. You people think you're going to die. What's, we're not afraid at all of that. That's all we've ever had. What are we afraid of? And, and you wonder, who's leading whom? Those, those Europeans should have had their, hung their heads in shame. The centerpiece is Rwanda. It's not England. That's where the heart of the body of Christ is. The people that say, keep your money. Give me Jesus. We sang it. Take this world and give me Jesus. And they did that. And I hope we could be, learn a few lessons from them. Take this world. Give me Jesus. But that's kind of what our theme is going to be as we look through the book of Daniel. Not this, uh, Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in the book of Daniel, we encounter somebody named Daniel, who is stripped from his homeland, and they try to change him in every way possible as he's taken as a kidnapped to Babylon. And instead of being conformed to that brand new culture, he ends up transforming that culture. And so we're going to be looking at this incredible man um, named Daniel and his friends, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I want to bring you back some years, back to the 1960s, um, um, if you're around, some of you were, but you, people who are more uh, younger than that, you know the, the movie or the TV show Mission Impossible. Anyone ever see that? Uh, I used to love it as a child. I remember, remember how it started. Um, they'd have this, uh, like a tape recorder, if you know what one of those is. Um, this tape recorder, and it would give uh, Jim Phelps, who was played by Peter Graves, this incredibly impossible mission that they had to say. And then they would always have these words, your mission should you choose to accept it. And then always these words, as always, should you or any of your I am force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck. And remember, of course, now in the Mission Impossible series, it's Tom Cruise that plays uh, the main part of Ethan Hunt. 
But basically what they do is they face these absolutely impossible missions that will require um, daring and planning and perfect timing and, and uh, um, um, bravery and cunning and trickery and more than a bit of luck. But the, the mission is very important, so it's important that they succeed. And of course, since it's TV, they always succeed. But today, when we look at the, the Bible in Daniel chapter 2, and if you have a Bible there, we're going to see not fiction, not Tom Cruise or Peter Graves, not some story someone made up, but a real historical event that took place in a mission that was far more impossible than anything these other people had ever faced. It's a mission that is beyond our comprehension. And so Daniel had to face a mission that was, in human terms, impossible. What will he do? Now the truth is, we live in a world in which there's plenty of mystery. There are many things we can't solve in this world. What do you do when you hit something you can't solve? A child like I had with a, with a, a life-threatening disease, cancer. What, you wonder why? Where does this come from? How do you deal with it? We can't solve it. Or let's say you have a, a, a boss at work that um, on Friday afternoon says, here's, here's your job, I want this on Monday morning. And it's a three-month-long job. Yes, get it done. I'll see you Monday. You go, I can't. It's impossible. Do it. Well, do it or be fired. All of us face all kinds of situations in life that are humanly impossible. What do we do? Do we use our ingenuity? That might get us a little ways. What do we do when we face an impossible situation? That's what we're going to encounter today as Daniel faces one of the most impossible situations you can ever imagine. Now, once again, this is history. This is something happened and, uh, in history. And as I said before, the book of Daniel is the easiest book in the Bible to date because it tells us exactly when things take place. And so we're going to start today with the first section is about a dream, a dream that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream that deeply troubles him. Here's how it begins. In the second year of his reign, we know what year that is, 604 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar had just become king from his father, and we know that Daniel was about 16 years of age. So he's still in high school, if you want to say that. And he is in the king's training program under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Now, when a person in that society had dreams that troubled them, they thought that that meant that the gods, and they believed in many gods, that the gods were angry with you. And so, if the king has a dream and he's troubled, that means he's done something wrong, probably. And besides, Shakespeare had it right when he said, Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. So anyone in Nebuchadnezzar's position obviously doesn't have a very easy life. They don't sleep very well because there's far too much weight on their shoulders. So he doesn't sleep. He has a dream. Now back in that society, even in many societies today, when people have dreams, they believe that there's something important going on. And so did Nebuchadnezzar. So what does he do? He summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Now there's tricky. Now, these, this group of people, these are the, the court advisors. This is like his cabinet. Now, at that, si at that time, uh, they might have had the minister of defense and the, the secretary of education, etc. But what they also wanted in their court is people who could read sheep's livers. Because they believed that sheep's livers 
um, told you things about the future. They wanted people who could read the stars. So they had people who were trained in reading what the stars are telling us. They, were, they wanted people who could tell when, when, out, when supernatural things happened, like a, a cow was born with two heads. Ooh, that would be very, very significant. And so many of the king's advisors were not just people who were wise, but also people who could understand um, supernatural, mysterious phenomena. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that God warned his people against this. Um, this is the word of God from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. God said through Moses, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Now what's ironic is those are the very things that Daniel was trained in. He had to, because it was part of his curriculum. And those who did well in this kind of training were put into the king's service, and they were his counsel. So Daniel was an apprentice in these various things. He didn't buy into them, but he was trained in them. And so now the king calls all these consultants together and tells them, I had a dream. He goes on. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Now that was not unusual. The king did that all the time. But here is what's unusual. The trouble is, the king is not only going to have a dream that he doesn't know what it means, because those people were, were, were skilled. They had books. They had books telling them, well, if this is the dream and it involves this, this is what it means. They were trained in what dreams mean. But the king's going to go a step farther. He forgot his dream. And so now he's going to require his consultants to tell him what he dreamed. Here's what happens. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. Now that's significant. Aramaic was the language that everyone spoke at that time. During Jesus' day, they spoke Greek all over the world. During our day, people speak English all over the world. In that society, it was Aramaic. Aram means Syria. Aramaic is the language of Syria. That was the lingua franca of the day. Interestingly, from this point on till chapter 8 in the book of Daniel, it is written in the original in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. The Old Testament is written in two languages, Hebrew, 99% of it, and Aramaic, this little portion in Daniel, and the New Testament written in Greek. Why? Well, because what's going to take place now from chapter 2 to chapter 8 is going to be specifically directed not to God's people, the Jewish people, but to all the nations. Because these are Gentiles, these are not Jews, Nebuchadnezzar and company. And so the astrologers who study the skies said, O king, live forever. That was just, I guess it's flattery. Uh, Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you can tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. <laughs> can you imagine anyone say that to you? Here, you're, someone of your friends says, Yeah, I had a dream last night. Um, it really troubles me. I'm, I'm really, I'm unsettled. 
And the person says, well, tell me the dream. I'd like to hear it. You say, I can't remember it. And, they, and of course, we don't have this power. But what if you're the king? You say, if you don't tell me what my dream was, I'm killing you. That's what he said. And he's serious. Why? Why would a king do something this stupid? Well, one, because he's the king. And he can. That's probably one reason. He has all the power. He's not under any law. He can do whatever he wants to do. But maybe, you see, this group of counselors, he's a brand new king. He's only the second year of his administration. Maybe he doesn't trust some of these dudes. Or maybe he wants a whole new set of counselors. We don't know. Maybe he suspects that they're frauds. And I think he does. And he's going to try to figure out, are these guys frauds? Are they for real? Are they truly loyal to me? Or are these are the very people that could undermine his administration? He's testing them. And he gives them a test of incredibly great proportions. You've got to read my mind. Well, let's see what happens. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Of course they can. They can make up anything. And the king will probably fall for it. But the king is not buying any of it. Then the king answered, I am certain you're trying to gain time. Because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. That is a problem. That's pretty tough. Now, um, life is full of mysteries, as you know. We live in a world uh, full, full of things that we, we do not understand. Um, if for all the years that we as human beings have tried to figure out why does evil happen, we don't know why. Why, if we say that God is all good and God is all powerful, do we have evil in this world? If he was all good, wouldn't he stop it? And if he was all power powerful, he could stop it. Why doesn't he do so? Why do we have evil in this world? Or where, where does, where's the origin of life? Where does life come from? And so, of course, our society says you get a bang and a billion and you got it. That's where life comes from, a big bang and billions of years. There's where life comes from. That's how we try to solve a mystery. But it leaves you a little cold because it's kind of strange. Or the complexity of the cell or the enormity of the, the cosmos or what is light. I went online this week and I couldn't believe this one. Scotch tape, if you peel it in a vacuum, it produces x-rays. What? Yep, they don't know why, but it does. Tr try that, by the way, if you can peel your scotch tape in a vacuum somewhere. Um, why birds, bees, and ocean-going uh, uh, animals, they, they, they can sense magnetic fields. Uh, how? Glass. We don't even know exactly how glass forms. It's still mysterious. How about this one? In the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Australia, in 1997, 0.4% of the population of these hundreds of millions of people, 0.4% had peanut allergies. Ten years later, the number is 1.4%. That's a huge increase. That's millions of people. Why? What's going on with our peanuts? We don't know. There, placebo effect. We know there is such a thing as a placebo effect, but we don't know why it works as it does. We don't know. Life is full of mysteries. Mystery abounds in our world today. So what do you do? 
when you deal with something mysterious. And that's what the king is dealing with. He has a dream, and he doesn't know what it means. Now, um, dreams in that society were significant, as they are in our day. Maybe you've heard about how God is using dreams to bring many Muslim people to Jesus because they have dreams of Jesus. You'd expect them to have dreams of Muhammad. They don't. They have dreams of, well, I'm sure some do, but they're having dreams about Jesus. And uh, it's, a, it's a mysterious thing that's happening. But many uh, people who have become Christians out of Islam are telling us that this is what has happened to them. Where do dreams come from? Uh, Freud told us there, there are hidden desires and emotions. That's his psychoanalytic um, definition. Um, scientists tell us it's just the brain kind of decompressing at night. Um, it's just n nothing big to it. Maybe we're, we're, our memories are being formed at night or we're solving problems at night. The Bible tells us in some places that some dreams come from Satan or from the evil one, from demons. And we know in the Bible people like Joseph, the son of Jacob, and Joseph, the son of, um, um, or the father of Jesus, and many others in the Bible had dreams from God. So what is the source of dreams? We don't know. But it's, um, it could be a variety of things. And so it's mysterious. And when you deal with mystery, as Nebuchadnezzar was dealing with mystery, you've got to try to figure out what to do with it. Because he believed that this dream that he could not remember was extremely important. So what is going to happen? Well, let's see. The astrologers answered the king. There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks? Yes. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among men. So his demand is inhuman. He said, this, isn't, this is impossible. There's no human being who can do this. I do know one that could read minds. That was Jesus. He knew the future. He could read people's minds. It says it's unique. O King Nebuchadnezzar, there's never been a king in the history of humanity who has ever asked his counselors to figure out his own mi his mind. You've never, no one's ever asked that of us. And it's supernatural. Only God can read a human mind. We can't even read our own minds much of the time. Besides, it's... It, 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 there's no one on earth that can do this. It is impossible. And so what's the king going to do? He's going to say, you're right. Let's take another route. Oh, no. Not Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I see through you guys. You're playing me. And I'm going to get rid of all of you. So the, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued and put to the wise men to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. You know, he's only a, a second-year student in high school. He just started the year before in his training to be a counselor to the king, and now he gets lumped together with this bunch of bad apples, and he's going to get killed as well, as is Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're all dead meat. So what will Daniel do? Let's see. Let's see what he'll do. 
the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Here's how the Bible puts it. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. Do you see how he does that in every occasion? This guy's got high EQ. He's not only brilliant, but he knows how to get along with people. He asked the king's officer, Why? Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? So Daniel now is going to employ his mind, and he's going to inquire, Well, this does not make sense. Why would the king do this? Maybe he could have figured out the king is testing. The king actually is pretty clever. He knows lots of these guys are frauds because they are frauds. And by the way, in, the, in some administrations later, these very people whose, uh, whose Daniel is, is working with them, they're going to turn him in. And that's where Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. We'll come to that in some weeks. Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time, not to stall, but to go to God, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for the mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. His neck is on the line. And so they pray together. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Well, obviously, God did it. So what's Daniel going to do? The very first thing that he's going to do now is he's going to um, worship God. And in seven ways, which is the magic number, so to speak, for the Jewish people, this is what he says. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He sets up kings and he disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. The first thing he does is he worships God. So how, what did Daniel do when he encountered something that was mysterious, as we often will? Well, what do we do when we encounter some situation that's absolutely impossible, that's mysterious? The first thing we do is, of course, panic. Our emotions take over. And we become in flight or fight mode. We, we, we go nuts. What did Daniel do? The first thing he did is he didn't go crazy. He, first thing he did is he, he stepped back. And then, remember he sought understanding. He went to Arioch and said, um, give me some background. What's the king doing? Oh, this is really outside the box. Why? What's he doing? And then Arioch explained it to him. Then what did Daniel do? He, he took some time. He said, he went to the king and said, king, I will do what you have commanded, but you need to give me some time. He, maybe he said to them, because i got to talk to God. And then he did. He got together with his friends. This is the next thing he did. And, and his friends then, um, they, 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 they put their, their, their knees together and, and they, they prayed. So he consulted his comrades who devoted themselves to prayer. And he listened for God's voice. And then when God spoke, 
he praised God for his revelation. What a, what a good way to go. What, what do we do? When we um, encounter uh, difficult things, impossible situations, well, maybe we should take some lessons from Daniel. First thing is, step back. Deal with your natural tendencies to deal with hard situations just emotionally, that's all. Though that's our first reaction. Then, of course, he tried to understand what's going on. He took some time. He consulted his friends. They together turned to God in prayer. And when God provided some insight, they worshipped God for what he had done. So that's what they did. Now, what's going to happen next? Now Daniel is going to go into the king, and the king is going to um, um, be going to figure out what Daniel is going to tell him. Our slides have stopped here on us, so listen to the word of God. This is chapter 2, verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner, can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me... This mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than any other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. So here now Daniel goes to the king. And remember, this is a 16-year-old with the most powerful person in the world. That's the, that's the situation. Way more powerful than the most powerful person in the world today. Way more. Because our powerful people are supposed to live under our laws. The law is above the sovereign. In this society, there is no such thing. The sovereign is above the law. If he wants to get rid of all of his counselors and kill them all, he does so. He's above the law. This little young man comes before the king. And the first thing he does is he shows up. He takes the initiative. And then he does so partly because he wants to protect the innocent. These scoundrels, some of them who are frauds, he's going to now protect their lives from getting killed. And then he is introduced as someone of the Jewish spiritual heritage who worships not the many gods, not the, God of Bab the gods of Babylon, who worships the one true living God, which was the gift of the Jewish people to humanity, the belief that there's only one true God. And then he dis disavows having any uh, special wisdom. He says, O king, I am no more capable than anyone in the whole world to interpret dreams or to tell you what you dreamed. I can't do that. But there is a God who can read your mind. I cannot. And this God, in his mercy, has revealed to me what you dreamed. 
He communicated the message and he highlights the goodness of God. God is in the business of helping you do your responsibility as the most powerful man in the world. And next week, we'll get to what the dream was. So what? So what? King Nebuchadnezzar had been thrust by God into the realm of the mysterious. He had a dream that he knew was important, but he didn't remember his dream. The king is obviously highly suspicious of his spiritual advisors. Say it again. The king is obviously suspicious of his spiritual advisors. And so should you. Say it again. King Nebuchadnezzar was highly suspicious of his spiritual advisors. And so should you. Let me tell you why. I'm going to quote four very, 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 very important people. I'm going to quote for you now probably the four most important people that have ever lived on planet Earth. Their names are Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John. Here's what they said. Jesus Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. That is Jesus speaking about the end, times toward the end, and perhaps we're living there. Those are the words of Jesus. This is Paul. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's Paul. This is Peter. There will be false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. And this is John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's situation is no different than ours. Maybe it's worse today. Nebuchadnezzar knew that there were a bunch of people who were his spiritual advisors who were frauds. And how do you separate the frauds from the real? And he's not a believer. He's just a secular guy that knows that there's something spiritual, supernatural above himself that he does not understand. Thankfully, there was a true prophet of God named Daniel who could receive revelation from God accurately. All four of the greatest people that have ever lived said, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. I can say with absolute confidence from the Word of God that the number one facet of our world today no question, read your Bible, is deception. That is the number one thing we will have to face in our world today. Read any passage in the world that speaks about times toward the end. Whether we're living them or not, I don't know. But this much I do know, that the number one characteristic of such times will be deception. How do you deal with it? How do you sort out what's true from the frauds? How do you do it? I would suggest to you it's as easy as A, B, 
B, C, F. I skipped a couple letters. God has told us in his word, Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, um, in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, and many other passages, we have definitive understanding from God's word as to how to deal with deception. And here they are. A, accuracy. If you claim ever to speak from God or have anything you believe is from God, you have to bat a thousand. If you ever miss one pitch, if every single pitch does not go out of the park, you are, it is not from God. Why? Because God cannot lie. The Bible told us, because Moses is dealing with people, many of whom say they are prophets of God. And Moses says, here's how you will know if someone is truly a prophet of God. Everything they say in the name of the Lord has to come true perfectly. If not, they are not from God. Accuracy. B. Biblical faithfulness. Moses said again, how do you know if someone comes to you from God saying, I have a word from God, and Moses sweetens the pot. He says, what if they come to you and say, I have a word from God, and they say, here is a miracle to show. Poof! And an elephant appears. Now, if I said I have a word from God right now, and an elephant appears, I say, I'm going to make an elephant appear. You'd all go, whoa! And you know what Moses would say to you? Whoa! Miracles are not the source of truth. The Word of God is the source of truth. Nothing, no spiritual, supernatural phenomenon. It's the Word of God. That is our test. That's the only thing we have. And in fact, if you read your Holy Scriptures, it's going to tell us that one day the Antichrist is going to receive a fatal wound and will recover. What is that called? What does fatal mean? What does fatal mean? You're dead. And you recover. What does that mean? You come back alive. Satan will even, the Antichrist will even counterfeit the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But it's the Antichrist. It is not Christ. How do you know? The Bible. Accuracy, the Bible. That's our only source of absolute truth. And we have this all over in the Scriptures. Three, C, Christ-focused. Just after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he's walking on the road to Emmaus. He opens up the Old Testament Scriptures, and he shows how every single thing points to him. That's the genius of the Bible. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament points back to Jesus. The God, the Father, is glorified by Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Jesus, if it's not focused on Jesus, something's wrong. Jesus is our focus. Accuracy, biblical faithfulness, Christ-focused. And F, this comes from Jesus. Watch out for false prophets. By their fruit, you will know them. It's the fruit. And as you know, fruit appears not right away. It, over time, Jesus said, that's what you have to look for. Accuracy, Bible faithfulness, Christ-focused, and fruit. Those are the tests. 
that God has given to us as we live through a world that so beautifully packages deception as our world. Just as the world of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar had all these people feeding him spiritual deception, but there was one who cut through it, and that was the true prophet of God, Daniel, the man of God. And next week, we're going to look at the, pro- the, the dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, the centerpiece of which will be a glimpse of the Messiah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be people of discernment. You have not left us without help. You have given us your word. You have given us our Lord Jesus Christ. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us one another. You've given us more than we need to sniff out fraud and to deal with the mysterious in ways that honor you. May we be like Daniel, who so know you that you can save the world. Not that we individually could ever do this any more than Daniel could, but through this great man, you did great things. And I pray that through us, little people, men and women here today, you would do great things in this community. All for the name and the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and make you shine for him in this world as you leave this morning. God bless you.